0: Well, would you listen now as I read from the Gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter twenty-five, verses thirteen through thirty. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, "Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each." For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Well, Good morning and welcome. We are in uh, in the month of January. We actually take a break from our sermon series. That's our normal sermon series on the book of Acts that will be continuing in the month of February. In the month of January, uh, our tradition here is to revisit matters of vision for the church, of what Ironworks is all about, and have a bit of renewal unto that end. And I'm asking this question this morning, where is Ironworks going in 2019? And I'll tell you, friends, that uh, as I have thought about this and I have pondered this, uh, it's occurred to me that Ironworks as a congregation, if you're not familiar with who we are, we've been meeting since 2011. We were a six-person Bible study back then. um, And we launched our church formally with services in 2012. So we find ourselves uh, approximately seven, uh, seven or so years old. And we find ourselves at a significant milestone. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we entered into an agreement for sale to purchase 16,000 square feet approximately in this building. That's what this acronym PAC is all about. And uh, we are sort of growing out of this, what we had been in for a long time, called a church plant phase. We were a church plant with uh, practically no resources, not practically, with no resources, um, and, and few people. And the Lord has blessed and the church has grown. And I'll tell you that as we find ourselves here, um, I was pondering some ideas that a few of us had discussed actually before the church ever met. We talked about this milestone. We didn't know when it would happen, but we said, you know, a time will come where we will be a number of years in, where perhaps even, you know, I didn't think we would ever own property. That was not something we set out to do, but the Lord has moved us in that direction. Um, where it's the time that will come where we will no longer be in our church planting phase. And in my opinion, our church will face the greatest danger we have ever faced. Right. And I believe that friends, I believe that churches, uh, not just Ironworks, but any church Uh, that crosses this milestone right around seven to 10 years, is what the experts say, enter a new season in the church where we are in the most danger we have ever been in. In fact, you can read, if you don't trust me, I can show you uh, comments from the experts on this regard. What do you mean the most danger, right? When we were first started, we, uh, we had like $200 offerings It's hard to pay a staff on a $200 offering um, after you pay rent. But nonetheless, as we've grown and God has provided, I look back on that time and I say, you know, that was a, a special time. But this time we are in more risk and danger than even that time. How in the world can I say that? Well, this is why, friends. So when a church is started, such as Ironworks, right, and we want to go plant a lot of churches, and so you probably see this time and again when a church is started and you have very little resources. Right? Um, what you do have—the only thing you have—is your mission, and that's actually the story of Ironworks. In fact, when we were started, I was so desperate to, to gather people. I went to a gathering of business folks that sort of practiced their practiced their sales pitch on others in the room, and I remember getting up and saying, when it was my turn, saying, "I'm a church planter, and we have." Basically nothing to offer you except a mission that we believe is worthy of all that you have. And then the group started, they didn't really quite know how to give me feedback on my sales pitch. Um, but that's where we were, friends. And uh, the, the experts have studied this phenomenon. And they said, you know, as a church gets older, right, as they've seen God do incredible things, and you can see this even in the scriptures, that there is a temptation to move from the risk taking associated with church planting and have a greater emphasis on protecting the things that you have. So there's this curve and it says we go from mission to maintenance. It's a very doc well documented phenomenon in churches and one of uh, the milestones that forces this change more than any other is purchasing property. Right? Because all of a sudden, you, know, you have a mortgage to pay, and the temptation for leaders, and even perhaps for others, is to focus, is to believe that the church's mission is found in paying its bills and not you know, losing what it has. And friends, I, I bring this up because this is sort of the mission month of the church, but for those of you not part of Ironworks, or uh, in addition for all of us here together, I believe that what I'm saying actually equally or even more so applies to our own lives as people. Right, I'm at, the question that I've been asking this whole month is, where are we as a church and where are we as individuals going in 2019? We said last week that behind and underneath of all New Year's resolutions is a desire for what we believe will bring us joy, happiness, and fulfillment, right? That's just everything that we do is ultimately geared toward that end as people. You can't escape it. And friends, uh, if that's true, and if God is real, as he is, then it means that what he says is ultimately designed for our greatest joy. That is the course of action that we ought to focus on more than any other way that we might answer that question. And I would point out to you that in verse 21 of our passage here today, that what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is a story, this is a parable, a teaching time of how it is that some people entered in to their master's joy. So it's very much on point. And friends, as I've uh, thought about uh, matters related to the milestones of the church and where we are There's no passage that I have continuously come back to for that more than this one. And I hope that uh, in the same way that it is helpful for you in your lives and where you find yourselves equally as well. So let's get into it together. I have this broken out under three headings. First, the analogy of investment. Secondly, the expectation of growth. And then thirdly, how to invest for abundance. So let's look at that together. Number one, the analogy of investment. So to put this passage in context for you, it's part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. right? If you read, in, um, and perhaps you may, may benefit from doing this today, if you go back and you read sort of the passages directly before and directly after this passage, what Jesus is doing is he's telling those who listen to him, this is how you might prepare for the end of the world, right? for the time when I will return. Jesus, of course, is uh, approaching very rapidly his own passion, his own crucifixion, his own rejection. And he's in that moment where the words cannot have a greater weight. Right? I, you know, I've said this before. If you are speak, when you speak to someone who is on their deathbed, I believe that those words carry the greatest weight of their entire lives because they know that there is no time to clarify. There's no time to say what you need to say. And in the same way, our own Lord Jesus Christ, as he is giving one of his final teachings to his disciples, what he is after in this entire section, and then in this parable in particular, is this. This is how you must treat the time that you have as you wait for my return, if you are to enter into your master's joy. So how might we do that? How might you think about 2019 and the years beyond, if they exist, in such a way to enter into your master's joy? And how might Ironworks, as a church, likewise think about that? And Jesus says, in order to find what you long for, in order for your time to be used well, you need to think of the time that you have as an investment. Right, you need to think of the time that you have as an investment. It's interesting. Um, I was reading about this phenomenon. I'm not sure all all that goes into it. Called the wealth snowball. Does anyone know what this is? Okay, um, the financial guys here don't know what it is, so now I'm doubting it even more. But it goes something something like this, I think, which is that uh, you know one of the reasons that the wealthy get wealthier. Right. If you've ever, you know, if you are wealthy or you know someone who is. one of the reasons that the wealthy get wealthier is because they can live on part of their resources and the rest of their resources are really devoted to investments. Right. And it's and they call it a snowball effect because it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger if they are successful. You know, I, I love entrepreneurs. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Actually, all of us in my family, um, that's who we are. And um, if you know entrepreneurs, they're a, kind of a weird bunch because entrepreneurs typically will have an idea that they believe is worth pursuing and that if that idea is successful, that the rewards that come from it are worth temporary um, suffering to some extent not suffering is a hard word but uh, you know too much of a word but temporary unpleasantness and I remember I had this one idea for a business that I was telling Chrissy about and we had some venture capitalists that we knew and you know we were really considering pursuing this and I said you know honey if we do this I just want you to know something we will have to eat mac and cheese every night for probably five years (laughs) do you still want to do it And, um, you know, she was gluten-free at the time, so that was even more rough. (laughs) But in all seriousness, right, so when you're investing, your mind is more on the future than it is on the present, right? Your mind isn't on, you know, eating mac and cheese for five years. Your mind is on saying, if we work really hard in this time, there is a, a future reality that will make all of this seem to pale in comparison to what is to come. And Jesus says that if you want the joy that you long for, and I know that you long for it, then what, then what you need to think about in this time, in this place, is you need to treat the days that you have, however many they are, as a period of investment. Right? This is not... This is not the reward. This is the season of mac and cheese for five years. And that's what Jesus says. He compares waiting for his return as to a season of investment. And the apostles uh, see their lives in this way, right? They see their lives in this way. So Paul, for example, will say, he says, I don't count my life of any value, but what I'm interested in is finishing the race, right? He understood his life to be a race and an investment that would pay dividends in the age to come. right? And so the Christian gospel, for example, says that you were created to live forever, but because sin enters the world, that death is our experience, that things are dying all around us, and that our time is short. And that this life, whether it be five years, 50 years, 80 years, however many it might be, that it is simply but a prelude to the life that you were ultimately destined for. Right, that this life is only a prelude. It is not the main course. And so Jesus says, if that's the case, if this life is simply but a prelude, then you need to treat it as a period of investment. That's the first thing. Second thing uh, is what we're calling the expectation of growth. And this is where the metaphor gets a little bit different. You see, when you invest in anything, what you're doing is you're taking risk. Right, So uh, if you want to invest in anything, then you will, by definition, have to incur some risk of losing uh, that which you invest. That's just the way it works. But in this parable, and in the Gospel of Mark in particular, Jesus speaks in such a way that the kind of investment that he has in mind has almost a guarantee of success. The investment that he has in mind has almost a guarantee of success. Where do I see that? Well, a couple places. Uh, First of all, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, he'll actually do this three separate times. He'll emphasize this point. First one, he'll tell a parable that's commonly referred to as the sower. I will say the seed falls, and it falls on grounds with thorn. falls in the path where the birds take it away right? Those falls on the hard soil, and then it falls in the good soil. And he says if seed falls in good soil, right, that it will multiply 30, 60, or 100-fold, right? So there will be varying levels of, of abundance, but all seeds sown on the good soil will multiply with at least a 30-fold return, right? 30 folds okay in my book, right? So he says that, and you think, well, Darren, maybe you're interpreting that wrong. Maybe that's not exactly what he's saying, But I saying. And I would be open to that objection, except that he goes on two more times to emphasize this point directly after that parable. So uh, after that parable, he will go on to say this. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Sounds similar. But then he says this. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grape is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. You know, what Jesus, of course, is getting at there is that you know farmers in that day did not fully understand photosynthesis. right? They probably didn't have all the same knowledge that we have today, but nonetheless, they knew that if they sowed, that they would reap. They didn't understand all the processes, but they knew uh, the way in which this works. And then Jesus will go on to say, just directly after that, he'll say this, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And you see friends, what Jesus of course is getting at is this, the kingdom, that his kingdom, which of course is the topic about which uh, he is telling you to be about investing in. He says, you need to understand that the kingdom has this quality to it, that it wants to grow, right? The mustard seed is, is his chosen analogy that the mustard seed starts out very tiny, but it wants to grow and it will grow, right? You know, we've had a lot of rain in Pennsylvania this last year, right? It's felt like Seattle without the grunge music. So that's hard, okay, (laughs) right? Um, And if you have any grass or anything, I tell you, all you need to do after pumpkin fest is you take your pumpkins that you race and just leave them in the backyard and do nothing. And when if it rains like it has this year, you will have pumpkins next year. I did. We had a whole, like, patch from simply hiding them. I thought I was doing a great job hiding them in our compost pile behind our garage until it was overrun <laughs> with pumpkins. Right? It's sort of the this organic principle uh, that Jesus has designed. And, of course, in this parable even, right, Jesus would not speak in this way if the growth of his kingdom, the growth of investment, uh, might be impossible or unattainable. He would not speak in in this way. And friends, I say all this because as I think about uh, where we are as a church, and uh, perhaps where you are uh, as individuals, I said that this is the greatest risk I think our church has ever faced is this new season that we're moving into, as we become landowners and as we become, uh, you know, reach that 10-year threshold. Why is that? Because I have seen quite a few churches actually move towards a focus on mission and a focus on risk-taking. To say, you know, now that we're property owners, we really can't take risks in life. You know, that would not be prudent. That would not be good stewardship. You know, we need to just focus on, you know, paying our bills and keeping our roof well serviced and all that. And, you know, it's important to take care of the things you have. I mean, we have teams that are really working hard at that. But I'll tell you this. On these words in Holy Scripture, Jesus makes beyond clear that the reason he gives you and I things, right, the reason he gives us things is so that we might use them. Right that if you've been blessed by God with anything right with with a wonderful family with possessions right with health, he gives you those things so that you might use them that's that's what stewardship is all about in fact he uh, in this passage he's uh, communicating this very idea he's saying, you know the master gives These talents, which, by the way, was a weight. It wasn't speaking of, you know, like the ability to play the guitar or something like that, though it would apply. He says he gives these talents so that you might use them in such a way that there is an increase to this kingdom. And I'll tell you, friends, that as I think about this year and I think about this space and I think about our lives, my desire, my prayer, my priority is that everything that we have would be absolutely filled up service to the city right that as we think about uh, this property that we have and we think about you know people coming into our space and you know maybe breaking a few things right doing all who knows what my hope my prayer is that our laser focus will be on using it for God's kingdom right and I would say the same for our own lives by the way right if you think about the things that you have been blessed with the things that God has given you Right, the way to joy in 2019 is to think about those things, whether you know, they be small or large in your mind. How may, might I use them for God's kingdom? How might I do that? Right. And you know, as uh, Drew, there's really not very many people that I know that get this better than our own Drew guess, <laughs> as he, uh, from the very start said, "You know if I' going to be involved in purchasing property, I only want to be involved in it." If it's for the kingdom, and so he coined this acronym called PAC, which is Property Acquisition for the Advancement of the Kingdom. And um, you know, the other thing that I love about Drew, and that we haven't talked about this in a while, is he started this initiative called the Innovation Laboratory. Some of you might remember that, right? And the Innovation Laboratory was a project where he said, you know, I want to encourage risk-taking for God's kingdom. And so we're going to create a group of people that help you take risks for God's kingdom, help with resources, and see that happen, even if uh, you might find that those initiatives don't work. We want you not to be afraid of doing that. And friends, that's really close to the thrust of this passage, is that Jesus is saying, uh, listen, church, if you've been blessed, listen, families, if you've been blessed, then you have been blessed as stewards Right, stewards to use the things that you have. And I want to just give you um, one suggestion, particularly as a family. You know, Depending on what ages your kids are, you might go into more or less detail. But one of the ways that I think your family can get a hold of this principle is by asking this question, what is our family's calling? Right? This word calling, what has God uniquely called us to do? Right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I'll tell you that uh, I think in America in particular, that one of the challenges that we are facing, particularly in our generation, in our time, is that we are raising lots of kids that never even have one thought to the concept of calling. Right, That we are, we are living in an age of such incredible abundance that we do not even ask the question, what might I be called to? Who might I be called to serve? How have I been uniquely gifted by God for certain things? And so one thing that you might consider doing as a family is even writing it out, saying, you know, gathering the kids around the table and saying, what is our calling by God? How has he uniquely gifted us? and enabled us to serve in, other, in ways that others might not be able to. And I think you'll find, friends, that as you do that, you'll find that some of the things that you love doing, right, some of your abilities, hobbies, et cetera, that you are able to serve and engage with others in ways that uh, not many others can do. So for example, I, um, it's no secret, I have a great love of aviation, right, and I've uh, building all sorts of flying contraptions, and I've recently decided, asked this question, God, how, why, why, do, why do I like this, <laughs> right? And one of the reasons that has come to the surface is because there's a whole community of folks that are involved in this, but I don't think anyone is reaching out to. And so I've made it uh, part of my mission, part of my calling to reach out to these folks. And I'm pleased to report <laughs> that uh, should the purchase go forward, that Iron Wolfs will be hosting the very first drone race. Now, uh, so that's happening in May but if you come you know just be prepared that um, these folks who I love dearly uh, it is a little r-rated so you might want to teach your kids what certain words mean um, but they are I you know I sat around these folks um, the other day and I said you know our church is just so excited uh, to be serving this community and if, and if our space can be helpful to what you're doing you know please come and they they're very excited about it and I'm excited about that opportunity so I wonder. What is your calling? And are you thinking about it? You may not have all the answers, but I encourage you to take some time to think about it. And then lastly, as you consider that, how might you as people, as families, how might we as a church invest for abundance this year? How might we do that? Well, friends, the main thrust of our passage as Jesus comes, uh, speaks this parable where the master comes to these men the main reason that the man who did not invest the main reason he gives for not investing is fear i was afraid so i decided to focus on protection not on growth right i was afraid so i decided to focus on protection and not growth and jesus uh, in this parable the man like, let's let's just be honest right the man sounds Pretty harsh, doesn't he? Right. Some of us are like, "Look, I don't. You know, this is how everything in my, you know, my own life is. I'm all about protection and not taking risks. You know, and is it really? Does God really respond to that harshly? What is going on with that? Well, friends, I think that the reason that this is so important to the Lord Jesus, right? The reason it's so important for our church, uh, in particular, for our lives, is this. Because when we treat our lives primarily with, a, with a, a focus on fear, there's one person we can't be looking at when we're doing that. And that is the one who said, you know, through me you can do all things. That is the one who said, in me you will, not might, but you will bear much fruit. You see, when we live under the oppression of fear of failure, the fear of loss, we cannot be in that place and be in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. You see, to be in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, as he has created each and every one of us to be, is to be in communion with a God of abundance, with a God who says, you can trust me, you can take risks. Yeah, it may not work but I will be pleased as you do so." You know, Martin Luther understood this so well. As he writes this hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, this is what he said. He said, you know, the body they may kill, as he went about doing things that might have resulted in the loss of his own life. He said, but God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. And for Martin Luther, the reality of God's supremacy was a call to take risks. A call to not live out of fear. And friends, as we think about things like the innovation laboratories, we think about uh, being bold with our neighbors, for example. You might choose to be bold with a neighbor and find out that it gets kind of awkward after that. right? But the teaching of this passage is take risks. Take risks this year. God's kingdom. Take risks believing that he is the God of abundance, that he has designed his kingdom to grow, that your joy will be found in communion with him that overflows in a way similar to the teachings of this passage and the ones that I read earlier in Mark. So how might we invest for abundance? The first is to reject fear. The second is to draw near to Christ. If you read um, in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, or if you ever talk to Pastor Stan Gale about anything uh, related to his philosophy of ministry, uh, his philosophy of ministry is summed up uh, in this idea of connecting with the vine, which is the metaphor of John 15, whereby Jesus says, in me, you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so friends, as we do that, uh, my exhortation to you, Is to believe that if you sow, you sow unto God's kingdom, that you will reap. Not you might, but you will reap in due time. Furthermore, if you sow, treating this life not as a short period of time whereby you must absorb every possible experience under the sun, right? So most, most Americans, right, myself included. Treat the time we have as simply a time where we might absorb as many experiences as we might have because this is all we got, right? If you, if you treat this life like that, then yes, you might have some nice experiences in maybe 50 years before you, know, you get uh, into your 60s and 70s and 80s where you can't enjoy those things anymore. I was so sad. I was speaking to someone the other day. The uh, person's not a Christian, uh, and he was saying... We were talking about the job market and where trends are going and all this. And, you know, our sort of industry is, is probably going away in a number of years. And he said, I have to just work as hard as I possibly can so that I can have money when I'm old. And I think about that and I say, you know, I appreciate that. I understand that. It's good to be responsible for retirement. But, you know, friends, um, on the other hand, when we have uh, our health, when we have our energy, when we have our strength, this passage would say the focus is not on saving up you know, for a period of 10, 15, 20 years when we don't have our health and we don't have our strength, but that the time we have, the resources we have, the strength we have is designed to be used to take risks for God's kingdom as we live in communion with Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, uh, where are you at with that today? Where are you at with that this year? Do you spend more time dreaming, and pondering about the risks you might take, or do you spend more time afraid? This passage is a call to the former. And as we approach this table, as we consider who Jesus is, as we consider what it is he's done to us, done for us, we are reminded of the fact that when Jesus came to earth, that he did not just put part of his resources on the table, right? He did not just wager a small bit but he laid down his very own life. He put it all on the line so that you and I could be completely and totally and radically accepted by God so that every one of our sins would be forgiven. Jesus said, everything I have, I lay down for the kingdom of my Father, even that which was most precious to him. As he, as he, and, and it was very real to him as he's in this garden he's pleading with God, God, is there any other way to bring about your plan? Is there any way that I can do this without having to lose that which I love most in life, namely you and my communion with you? And and the answer implicitly there is no, there was no other way. And Jesus says, your will be done. And he goes to the cross willingly where God uh, turns his face away and Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? But he lays it all on the line. He puts it all on the table so that you and I might thrive as members of his kingdom, both in this life and in the age to come. And my hope and prayer as we approach this table is that this table would be an entryway for each of us into a fresh and renewed picture and communion with him. And one of the ways you know if that's happened is you're more willing to be bold and risk-taking for his kingdom. And I hope that we can do that as a church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we praise you, Holy Spirit, we adore you, and I pray uh, that this meal that we are sharing today, that this picture of what Christ has done for us uh, would truly be in high definition, that we would see anew, a a fresh, uh, the depth of his love for us, the depth of his care for us, that we would have a picture of his kingdom, and that we would pursue it with everything that we are and everything that we have. And I pray in particular for Ironworks and particularly for our children here today, that every, one of, every single one of these children would have an experience, would have uh, an experience of seeing your kingdom grow in ways that are worth telling stories to their children. I pray that you would give us and our children stories of your power in this year and in the years to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.